This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we reflect upon your word this morning, we ask that by your spirit, you would comfort those of us who need to be comforted and that you would afflict those of us who need to be afflicted, that we all may be drawn ever deeper into your mercy and grace. Amen. You may be seated. Unruly. It's not a word that you hear every day. Sure, we've heard of unruly kids or unruly crowds. When I was a kid, my, my mom and them would say I had unruly hair just because I had this one that would stand straight up and I spent many Sunday mornings with a wet washcloth on the back of my head. But that's a different story. It's a word we know but a word that we rarely use. And yet today, we prayed acknowledging that God alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. We may have never referred to our will or our affections as unruly, but we immediately understand what the writer of this collect is referring to. Especially now, especially in this fifth week of Lent, after five weeks of self-reflection, of penitence, of fasting, and of prayer, we are all too aware of how unruly we truly are. I'm reminded of Alex's sermon two weeks ago when he preached on Paul's confession in Romans chapter 7, where he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing that I hate. We can relate to this. We can relate to Paul because like him, we know that our wills and our affections are unruly. How many times have we said, all right, I'm not going to, and then you can fill in the blank, right? I'm not going to eat too much or drink too much this time. I'm not going to lash out in anger. I'm not going to be silent in the face of what is wrong. I'm not going to use my words to belittle others. I'm not going to live out of fear. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. And I'll confess, this year for Lent, I, one of the silly things, or seemingly silly things to you maybe, that I tried to do was to set a goal for how much food I could eat because I wanted to remember that my, my satisfaction, my happiness does not come from food. And yet one night after not, not just convincing myself that one chocolate chip cookie would make me feel better, but four, I frustratingly thought to myself, I said I wasn't going to do that. We understand, we get it. This self-realization of our own unruliness, this self-awareness, tends to push us in one of two directions. 
It can push us to feel hopeless. Like maybe this is just how life has to be. Or it can push us to double down, to try harder, to dust ourselves off, to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. And is that all that there is? Are we just left to fluctuate between despair and these attempts to seize control? Because it is, it's difficult to recognize that my sin is unruly, that I can't master my own desires. And if we're to do that, then we have to acknowledge the truly terrifying depth of how rebellious and broken we truly are. So is there hope for us? Or are we left to vacillate between despair and laboring in vain? Well, thanks be to God, there's absolutely hope for us in Christ Jesus. There's hope for us in our great high priest. This is what our our reading from the letter to the Hebrews is all about this morning. In order to understand just how great this hope is, what what the writer of the letter to the Hebrews does is he draws out two important aspects of what it means to be a great high priest, only to then make clear how Christ is the greater high priest. First, we read that a high priest is chosen by God. It says in chapter 5, verse 4, and one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. To be a priest, and certainly to be a high priest, wasn't a job you could apply for. This was not an elected position. This was, these high priests, these priests were chosen by God. He chose Aaron and his family alone to fulfill this role, and it was a very heavy burden to carry. Remember with me back to the days when Israel was camped around Mount Sinai, when when God was giving them the law and the tabernacle, and it became very clear that the unruliness of the people, their own sinfulness, made it so that they could not approach a holy God. And so that's why he called Aaron and his sons to serve as priests, chosen by God to serve him and to serve his people. Second, we read that the high priest must be one of the people, Aaron could only represent Israel because he was Israel. This is why he could wear the the ephod, the chest piece, with the names of the tribes of Israel carved into stones because he was a part of those tribes. While there were many priests serving the Lord at any given time, there was only ever one high priest to represent them. One high priest who one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, would enter into the very presence of God, would enter into the very Holy of Holies and stand before the mercy seat of God in order to make a sacrifice for all of the people. One man chosen by God from his people in order to represent them all. This is what a high priest was. And it's at this point that the writer of Hebrews takes these two criteria and uses them to show us just how much greater of a high priest Jesus is. First, the writer reminds us that Jesus was most certainly called to be a high priest. 
We read in, chapters, in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, so also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if we were first century Jews, like the recipients of Hebrews probably were, then these two quotes would have struck us immediately. We would have recognized them as quotes from the Psalms. And not just quotes from any Psalms, but Psalms specifically about God's anointed one, the one who would come to rule as king one day. The emphasis of them both is all about him being a king until we get to one line that says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. But what does this mean? What does it mean to serve as a priest, not like Aaron, but like Melchizedek? Well, we can pause here for a moment and and ask, what do we know about Melchizedek? And it's actually very little. He's a rather mysterious character who shows up in Genesis chapter 14 after a battle scene with Abraham and some other kings. And we read that Abraham gives him a tenth of all that he has, and Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and then he seems to just disappear again. And yet one thing that's incredibly interesting about this king named Melchizedek is that he is both identified as King Melchizedek of Salem and priest of God Most High. He was a king and he was a priest. So what does it mean to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek? It means that unlike any priest that the kingdom of Israel had ever seen, unlike any king that they had ever seen, God had called for his anointed one to rule as a king and to serve as a priest. This was an incredible thing. Christ was most certainly called to serve as high priest by God the Father and He was one of us. He was our priest. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, and yet without sin. And he goes on in chapter 5 to explain that a priest is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is subject to to weakness. The Son of God, the anointed King of righteousness, became fully human in order that He might represent us before the Father. And and the writer goes on to just explain how much greater of a high priest He is than anything we had ever known. The Old Testament high priests would have to continually offer sacrifices for their own sins and for the sins of the people. And yet we see Christ who needed no sacrifice for his sin, but instead laid down his life, poured out his blood for you and for I. 
The Old Testament high priests were able to enter into the Holy of Holies just once a year, and yet Christ ascended into heaven where he is forever in the actual Holy of Holies, the actual presence of the Father. The Old Testament priests would wear this ephod with the names of Israel written upon it as a symbol, but Christ wears our very humanity, bearing in his hands and his feet the scars of the cross. He, he is our great, our greater high priest. And perhaps what is most shocking of all is that he turns and he invites us. He invites us to boldly approach the throne of grace. This is very, very shocking. And I think sometimes we miss the weight of it, but let's think about other places in the scripture where we see even an angel appear to someone and they cower in fear. Let alone the couple of places that we see God reveal a glimpse of his glory to a human. Think of Isaiah's response to seeing the Lord on his throne. He cries out in chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 5, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Surely we are no less unruly than Isaiah. And yet, because of our great high priest, we are invited to approach the throne, not in fear, but boldly. So what might this look like for you and for me to approach the throne of grace? Well, one thing that it means is that we can approach right here and right now. I know many of us know that. And yet I think our our knee-jerk reaction is that we think we have to first do something First, I need to get this in order. First, I need to clean myself up. And so am I telling us that we don't need to do that? That's exactly what I'm saying. We do not need to do anything first. We read in Romans that God has proved his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ has died for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news, is a call not to run from God in our moment of need but a call to run to him. It's a call to approach boldly in our time of need, knowing that our great high priest is there on our behalf, knowing that it is at the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace. This good news, it breaks the cycle of vacillating between hopelessness and self-improvement, and instead it beckons us to draw near And it's in this drawing near that we are made new. We're not called to white-knuckled behavioral change, and we're certainly not left to hopelessness. No, we're called by our gentle high priest into deeper and deeper intimacy with our God. With our God, who is able to bring into order our unruly wills and affections. So again, I'm going to ask, what might it look like for you and me to draw near in our time of need this morning? 
And I have a few ways that we can do that. First, it means admitting to ourselves that God, sorry, it means admitting to ourselves and to God that our sin has become unruly. Because if we cannot admit that to ourselves, then we will never look outside of ourselves for mercy and for grace, for help. Second, for many of us, we've grown up believing that God is very angry with us regarding our sin. But our scripture this morning makes it clear that he deals gently with us. He isn't angry with you. He loves you. And it's because he loves you, it's because he cares for you and for me and for all of us here, that he invites us to come ever deeper into relationship with him. Third, approaching boldly sounds high and lofty, but it doesn't need to be. Sometimes it simply means turning the TV off, putting our work aside, setting aside some time to be quiet and to bring before the Lord ourselves just as we are. And fourth, in another very practical way that we might address our unruliness and boldly approach in these next couple of weeks is through, the, is through confessing our sins. It's through the rite of reconciliation. During Holy Week, our priests here at Ascension will be making appointments with any who would like to make their confession. And the reason this is so important is not to just make us feel terrible about ourselves, but it's again to remind us that we might boldly approach the throne, that we have been forgiven, and that our Savior deals gently with us. And so, sisters and brothers, let us take heart. Let us take heart in knowing that we have a great high priest And let us boldly approach his throne this morning. Let us pray. Almighty God, we cannot thank you enough for calling your son to be our king and great high priest. So we ask again, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to both comfort us and afflict us with this reality that we might turn away from our unruly sins and draw near to your throne of grace each and every day. Amen.